And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mock & Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mock & Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and protecting the rights of the broken and religiously oppressed. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, together here with my partner, Noel Starrett. We are partners at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We're Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration, to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to MalkinBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or call us at 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith and law. Today, we're going to talk with Jim Gash, and we'll be talking about how an ordinary lawyer climbing the ladder to the top had a divine collision with God that ended up altering both his career and the lives of so many young men languishing in prison in Uganda. While Jim thought his mission was to set these young men free, he learned that God's mission was in included setting him free as well. So I turn that over to you, Noel. Yeah, hi, Jim, are you there? Here. Well, it's just a, del- yeah, it's a delight to have you. Thank you. Um, I just was chuckling to myself when we uh, scheduled to have you on. Uh, I read about how you were there at a, the same conference I was, Christian Legal Society Conference, uh, national conference every year. I believe it was in San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. You're right, San Diego in 09. Yeah, in 09. And uh, we were blessed to have the keynote speaker be none other than Bob Goff. Uh, do you want to just share about that conference and, and Bob Goff before we get into you, uh, Henry, and uh, your book and what you've done in Uganda? Right. Well, Bob uh, was the influence for two of our students in 2007, going to Uganda and coming back to me in my dean of students role and proposing that we start some sort of internship program in Uganda with the judiciary. And I was quite helpful to to be involved or, or eager to be involved and help them go. There they, Lord, send them. And so it was always about the students. And in 2009, when Bob gave his Love Does speech before there was a Love Does book, when he was done with his speech, I was done with my excuses, and my my uh, Bible changed back to, here my Lord, send me. And so I, I went in January of 10 following Bob's talk in uh, the fall of 09. Great. So you are, you, you're a lawyer, you're a law, law professor, and you're the dean of the students at Pepperdine University at the time. Right. From 05 to 12, I was dean of students. Okay. So what were your excuses, if you don't mind sharing? Oh, I had, uh, you know, how long you got? I've got, uh, you know, three wonderful kids and a great wife who I didn't want to be away from. I've got a great job in Malibu, California. I had plenty of, of projects working with students. We have a Bible study at our house. There was, there was all sorts of things that I felt like I was needed here in California. And the biggest excuse was, what am I equipped to do in Africa? What do I have that they need? And my answer was, was easily and self um uh, self-supportingly, um, nothing. There's nothing I can do in, in Uganda or Africa at all. And so I was comfortable just staying home. So, yeah, and I know a lot of other attorneys feel like they're in that position as well. 
you know, feeling that the only way we can contribute is by way of a check. Right, right. I mean, when we were growing up, Sally Struthers was on TV saying, here's an Ethiopian child that's hungry. Send money, send money, send money. And that was our call to action was to send money. And this generation now says, send me. And so we were sending them, but I was sending them rather than going myself. All right. So your life as a husband, father, law professor, uh, then was turned upside down by your trip to Africa. So how did you end up in Uganda back in 2010? Well, during Bob's speech, he talked about a juvenile remand home, which is a prison where kids go post-arrest, pre-trial, and wait for someone to do something. And so we decided, four lawyers, all Pepperdine grads, decided we were going to go to that remand home and see what we could do to be helpful. And this is going to be my one and done. This is my volunteerist thing. This is proving to my wife and to my kids and to my God that I was willing to take a step of faith and do a mission trip myself at the age of 42 after having never done that. But when we walked into that prison for the first time, it was, this is not okay with me. Somebody has got to do something about this. But at mm. that time, I knew it wasn't going to be me. This was, you know, this was my, uh, my quick trip and, and head home. But things changed when I really got to know the kids. So you were going to go on the mission trip, check the box, uh, here, Lord, I went, um, yep. and that was it. And, you know, try to keep from throwing my shoulder out of place by tap patting myself on the back, you know, for, for look at me, what I did. And, and uh, it didn't end up that way. Well, we've got a lot to unpack. I look forward to uh, kind of talking more about that trip. Um, In the interim, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Uh, I'm here, Rich Baker, with Noel Starrett. We're partners with the law firm of Malkin Baker. We're speaking with Jim Gash and talking about how a young man and an American lawyer with their remarkable battle for justice in Uganda. Yeah, so uh, Jim, if you want to pick it up from there, uh, now that you've, you went to the remand home, mm-hmm. your expectations, what you saw, uh, you know, I, having gone abroad myself, I know how we go in with a certain mindset and we come out with a completely different one. So you want to explain kind of what you went through? Yeah, well, when we, when there were 21 kids in the prison, 22 cases, one kid had two charges against him. And the guidebooks said that they spoke English in Uganda, so we didn't bring any interpreters or any, any you know, backup plans for that. So only two of the kids spoke English, and so they immediately became our interpreters. So one of them, a boy named Henry, it was the one with two murder charges against him, one from a mob killing that had happened two years earlier in his village. And as we reviewed the file, he had a complete um, alibi. He was in school, and we had all the evidence to show that he was. And the second was from a, another prisoner who had died the month before um, of an asthma attack during an escape. And Henry had been charged because he was the Katikiro, which is prime minister in Swahili of the prison government. And so he was charged because he was in charge of all of the other kids. So he and the adult matron who lived out there sometimes were charged together. So as we walked in, I met this boy. He helped me uh, interpret, found out he had two cases, and then really got to know him well during that week that we were there preparing all 21 uh, juvenile cases for trial. So you went over, and how many students did you bring? We brought no students on this trip. No students on this trip, okay. Yeah, this was four lawyers. Okay. Um, Were you guys all criminal defense attorneys? (laughs) Uh, The answer is none of us were. None of us did anything of that nature. I teach torts and evidence. One guy was a... um, just a phenomenal trial lawyer. He represented 
the uh, the victims in the priest abuse cases in Los Angeles. So he was a civil lawyer. Another was an energy in-house lawyer. And the other was a recent law grad who was running our, our global justice program. And so none of us had done anything like this at all, which is why, of course, I was feeling ill-equipped to be of use at this time. So it, it was just people who were legally trained, who had a sense of, of trying to do something and really cared about uh, trying to live out God's call to us at that time. Well, and if you're like me and Rich and pretty much any other lawyer that I know, uh, the whole practice of law, we, we want to be fully prepared and fully competent for everything that we do. It's a very uneasy feeling uh, to be pushed beyond our practice areas or asked to do something like that. So we like to be the most competent and prepared person in any courtroom. So just explain kind of what emotions you were going through as an attorney walking into this uh situation largely unprepared. Right, right. Well, and, and before we left, uh, you know, Bob Goff was cheerleading us, and, and I was like, well, what are we going to do, Bob? And he said, okay, you've taken depositions, right? Yes. You've, you've written, um, you know, briefs, right? Yes. You've done, you've done law fact analysis, right? Just do a lot of that when you get there. And so, okay, well, that's what we can do. So we interviewed these kids, all 21 kids. We interviewed the witnesses because there was some uh, court files. We reviewed the court files, and then we prepared a, a legal summary brief for the Ugandan lawyers that we handed the cases to and says, okay, move these cases forward. And so while we walked in unprepared and unsure of ourselves, when we sat down with these kids and heard their stories and reviewed the facts of the case, it's, it's nothing other than what we did in normal practice. And what I teach in law school is law fact analysis, figure out what the facts are, compare it to the law, and make an argument. And so it really ended up being a whole lot more accessible and a whole lot easier than, than we'd anticipated, which ultimately led to me going back multiple times because I felt like, okay, we can actually make a difference here. Yeah, and I think the key component to this, uh, beyond the law and the facts and the analysis, is the person. The person on the other side of your deposition. Yeah. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you more about after the break. Uh, I want to get more into your relationship uh, with Henry, uh, more about how this changed, because I think that's something that all lawyers should have. It should be a heart of compassion for the client, for the person on the other side of the table, for the defendant, uh, for the person languishing in a Ugandan jail. I think if we look at these things in just the cold uh, facts and law, we miss what God would have for us. Uh, and I think that's what we strive to do at our firm and what I'm so encouraged to hear that uh, you, were, you are doing and the other students at Pepperdine University are doing. And so when we come back for break, I want to talk more about that. Um, just tell me a little bit more about Henry. Yeah, Henry um, was a 15-year-old boy when he was arrested. He was first in his class, in his, his junior high class. He was on a full scholarship at this private school because he was such a, a smart kid and you know, was, would get up in the morning every morning, help his mom bake the, the bread that they sold to, for subsistence living, and you know, just was an awesome kid who was caught out of, uh, up in a situation that was completely outside of his control. A, a local herdsman stole from their family, and the villagers found him three days later, beat him to death, and dropped him on dropped him on their porch, and the entire family was arrested and just kind of devastated the family. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we will hear how a simple act of sharing his cell phone number with Henry changed their entire relationship forever. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus, attorneys with Malk and Baker in Chicago, a Christian law firm serving God and his people. 
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, and I'm here with Noel Sterrett. We're partners with the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Jim Gash. We're talking about his incredible story and the battle for justice that he uh, encountered when he went to Uganda and how a simple phone cell number changed everything. Yeah, Jim, do you want to pick it up there? Uh, you know, we're talking uh, to you about uh, your trip to Uganda, how you went with other lawyers to uh, basically visit the 21 um, young men who were awaiting trial for charges that uh, that were levied against them. They were just languishing in Ugandan jail, um, I don't know, probably for over, more than a year in some cases, and uh, particularly your relationship one, with one of such individual, Henry, and um, there's a story about a cell phone. Go ahead and tell us. Yeah, they had been in there for some of them for two years and some of them for only about six months. I should, shouldn't say only. But um, on, the, on the third day of, of interviewing the kids, we were on a break between. I thought I would show Henry a little bit of the modern world. And so I pulled out my cell phone and said, this is a cell phone. You can actually call people across the street, across the country and across the world and talk to them real time. He took the cell phone, looked at it and he said, this one is better than mine. I said, better than your what? It's better than my cell phone. It's like, you have a cell phone? You have no running water, no electricity, no flush toilets, no hope, no beds, and you have a cell phone? So he explained to me that because he was the prime minister and because no adults stayed out there on most nights, they needed him to have a phone in order to be able to be reached. And so then he pulled out the business card from, my, from his pocket that I'd given him the day before and said, does this cell phone number... Um, correspond to the one on this, this phone number on this business card. And that's when I was like, oh, no, am I, am I in this for the long haul? Am I going to give this kid uh, my number and then, you know, can be committed? And I paused longer than I should have, but ultimately I said, no, 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 here's my cell phone number and wrote it on the back of the card. When I landed one week later, I had a, a message on my cell phone saying, hello, Mr. Jim, this is Henry. I just wanted to call and thank you for coming. I hope you had a safe journey. And that began the next phase of our relationship. Wow. So the cell phone, as we all know, is very much a, a tie. It's a connection. Yeah. It's a way in which we say, all right, I'm going to give you this number. And by doing that, I'm going to give you a connection with me that, that, that you can keep. Um, and so right. what happened? You, you, did you just come back to the United States after your trip to Uganda, uh, certainly moved by what you saw? Um, thinking, well, maybe I'm just, I'm done. I, I did what I did. I did my short-term mission trip, so to speak. And now I'm going to go back to uh, life as, as I had it before. Yeah. Well, when I left, Henry asked me, he said, uh, when are you coming back? And my response was, I don't know. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that someday I will come back because, you know, I feel like uh, I've grown attached to this country, but I didn't have any plans at all. One of the guys who was with us on this trip was somebody from Restore International, Bob Goss' organization in Uganda, and he was on the ground there. And so he was going to give us weekly email updates with how the cases were going. And so that's what I expected my connection to be, was hearing how things went through through John Niemeyer on the ground. But instead, I called Henry right back, and, and we've talked every week for the last six years. And, and uh, I've been out there now to Uganda 17 times since uh, January of 10. Wow. So I usually respond to those things, uh, those requests. Well, when are you back, or when are we going to talk again? To, you know, maybe I'll pray about it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, well, I had that exact conversation in May. Uh, it was April of 2010 when uh, 
I went back after Henry was convicted through some bizarre and, and uh, breathtaking violations of due process. So I go back there in, in April of 10. And while I'm there, uh, I meet with the head of the criminal division, the high court. And after a brief conversation, they decided they're going to come out to Pepperdine for for a week to study what it would look like to change their system, to integrate some structural changes that would move cases much more quickly through. So there would be no more Henry's. And just before they left, they said, can you come pray with us somewhere and, and pray for courage that we would, be, we would have the boldness to actually do these reforms we've been talking about? And I said, great. So just before we prayed, he said, can you, can you think about one more thing? Will you consider moving to Uganda to help us integrate this into our system. And that's when I said what you said just now. Well, I'll pray about it. Whenever somebody asks you to do something you don't want to do, oh, I'll pray about it. And then we started praying about it. And ultimately, my family moved there in January of 12 for six months. For six months. Wow. What 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 ultimately did you consider uh, the reason to move? I mean, why pick up a family and move over there for six months? Well, it was really the result of, of some serious prayer um, by my family, um, my wife and three kids, and figuring out what it is that God has for us. And we, we had written the story of our lives quite effectively over the prior 42 years. I'd written 42 chapters that had me in Malibu with a great wife and three kids and a great job. But ultimately, I was the one writing the story, and God was the the uh, the supporting actor. He showed up when, when I needed him to. He set his lines. He carried the themes of the story. But he was not the author of that book, of that story. And that's when we were just praying for, okay, God, take over. Your plans are going to be better than ours. They're not going to be predictable. They may not even be comfortable. But we just want to live into whatever it is you have for us. And we felt like that was moving to Uganda. And so we did. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker with Noel Starrett, partners with the law firm Mauk and Baker, and we're speaking with Jim Gash, discussing his new book, Divine Collision and the Remarkable Battle for Justice in Uganda. Yeah, Jim, this is, uh, I want to, we have about five minutes left, and I want to talk uh, about your book and the documentary film that uh, you've put together with Henry uh, that will give a window uh, into what all, all these chapters that we're talking about, the story that, uh, of your trip to Uganda and the work that's still being done there, would you just kind of give us a, you know, a summary? What what's yeah. this book about? Well, the book is about two people who God collided with individually on two different continents, and then God collided them together. And in both situations, uh, God was saying, "Trust me. Do you trust me?" Saying to Henry, "Trust me. I know you're languishing in prison, but I have something for you. Just trust me." And me you know, afraid to surrender control of my daily life to God and him saying, trust me. And then he collided us together. And so the book is Divine Collision. The book is dual first person from his perspective and from my perspective and seeing through the eyes of both of us as we learn how to surrender our, our trust to God and then watch how he, he changes everything for both of us. And, and I had an opportunity in 2013, March of 13, to actually argue Henry's case in the Ugandan Court of Appeals. They had only allowed one other non-Ugandan to do that, a Kenyan, several years earlier. And they said that because of the relationship that I had developed with the judiciary and because of my passion for the case, they allowed me to argue his case. And so I got to stand next to him in the Court of Appeals and do that. And then uh, over, over time, we've developed relationships with Uganda Christian Lawyers Fraternity and Uganda Christian University, where we work together on on uh, 
doing this in the adult realm. And so now the Ugandans are plea bargaining in, in the juvenile realm and now in the adult realm. And so the book tells the story of the evolution of the Ugandan criminal justice system as a result of Henry's case as well. And then in my family, just how my 15, 13, and 11-year-old were transformed by this and how Henry, uh, someone who was in a very poor family, uh, eager to do some sort of schooling beyond junior high, ultimately as a result of this is now in medical school. Wow. So, so one of these, uh, and just to hear Henry tell the story of, of how his mother used to tell him, don't worry, Henry, nothing lasts forever except the word of God. You know, Amen. God sometimes takes bad things and makes good. And just kind of the story is how God did that in both of our lives. The book is Divine Collision, An African Boy, An American Lawyer, and the Remarkable Battle, Battle for Freedom. Where can we uh, get this book? Yeah, the book is available wherever books are sold, you know, at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and Christian booksellers all over the country. It's an electronic version. It's an audio version. It's an hard copy version, hardcover version. And then the, the film is called Remand, R-E-M-A-N-D. That is uh, in final post-production, and we entered into film festivals over the next couple of months, but we've had a chance to do some preview screenings around the country, and it's been uh, well-received. And so remandfilm.com. There's information about the, the, the movie in divinecollision.com is the book. Excellent. This is uh, really exciting. I, I, we have a, a couple minutes left, and I want to talk about, uh, if you have a, just a few minutes to talk to the lawyer out there, uh, the businessman out there, uh, so anyone else that's listening that may not be in mi- full-time ministry as we would like to you know categorize that, right. what would you say to them in terms of, how do you get the why? How do you get the the purpose, the understanding of, you know, what is it going to take for me to live an abandoned life to the Lord? Well, I, I would start with a question that I was asked um, in 2010 by a member of uh, an organization called 60 Feet. There's an awesome Atlanta-based Christian organization that does work in the developing world, particularly in Uganda. And one of them was talking to the students at the Bible study that meets in my house. He said, what are you doing right now? That requires faith. And my response, you know, internally was, well, I go to church, you know, I, I worship God. That doesn't require faith. What are you doing that requires you to trust in God? And the second thing I would say, you know, ask yourself that, and the second thing I would say is, is recognize that the thing that's stopping us from doing what we know we should do is fear. And, and I used to think it was fear of failure. But I realized it's not a fear of failure because if things went poorly in Uganda, I get to come home to Malibu and, and everything's great. It's fear of success. It's fear that if you take a step and God is there and he has something for you, then everything will change. And that's what happened in my family, in our, our lives. And so what I would say is don't be afraid of success because understand that if everything changes, that's, that's God's will. You're living in his purpose for your life. So step out, even in the face of fear, into what you feel God is putting before you, and just hold on for the ride. Amen. What a blessing. Jim, we appreciate you coming on today. Um, I'm listening carefully to your words, and you're rather threatening in some of those ways to my uh, set legal stage of life right now. This is Malkin Baker. Uh, We've been with you. Uh, If you have any questions or want the perspective on local Christian attorney, contact us at malkinbaker.com. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. Again, that's 312-726-1243 or at maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. 